begin uh, in, actually in kind of an interesting place. I want, uh, want you to turn, for, before we even look at the Book of Mormon, turn to uh, Matthew 11, uh, 25, if you will. here, if you look at the run-up to Matthew 11.25, the Savior is talking about uh, fact. I'm going <clears> to... <throat> uh, I want you to look at something interesting with what he's saying. Uh, and it's actually a, a pretty uh, blasting commentary on on what's happening with uh, with the, the uh, Jews there he's going to go through and he's going to say look at verse uh, 23 uh, thou Capernaum which are exalted among the heaven you know you, you had some really nice things taught in you uh, shall be brought down to hell for if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done where? Sodom, then um, at that day, it, Sodom would have remained until this day. Yeah. Okay, which really tells them how bad is Capernaum. And by the way, a few years later, around uh, 66 AD, what would happen to Capernaum? Same thing that happened to Jerusalem. All the cities were just destroyed and people hauled off. Okay, so it really was coming. Okay, so he's gonna he goes through city after city after city, and then then we get down to verse twenty five. Who's got twenty five? Okay, okay. At that time, Jesus answered and said, "I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes." Ah, okay. So we're gonna get this. He's gonna say, "What's happened is is that the." the pseudo, those who think they know, the wise and the prudent, have had beautiful things taught in front of them and they completely missed it. Just went right by it. Okay? And in fact, it's going to be taught uh, unto babes. And... That doesn't make any sense, does it? Let's take a look at 3 Nephi 26. Alright. Now, let's just update ourselves. What's been going on? What's happening at this point in history? What's the 
church. Remember, he'd been there. Then he come. Then he sets it all up. We went through all the miracles of the blessing of the kids and the and the uh, healings and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Then he goes. Then he comes back, and they're and they're teaching. And then we're going to get this this um, fascinating moment. Uh, and I want you to look at uh, verse 13. Therefore, I would that ye should behold that the Lord truly did teach the people for the space of three days. Uh, by the way, we're about to find out that he really taught the, most of the people for two days. The third day will be spent training the disciples. And we're about to get into that one. So it's really two days, multitude, uh, the third day with getting the disciples ready to be their, the leader. So there was a big leadership conference on the third day. Okay? Uh, space of three days, he'd show himself unto them off, did break bread off, bless it, and gave it unto them. <coughs> now look at 14. And it came to pass that he did teach and minister unto who? Now he kind of did the... He, did he really kind of teach the children the first kind of experience that we had with the kids? What did he do with the kids? He blessed them. This is different. He's going to teach the children of the multitude of whom hath been spoken and did what? Lose their tongues. Think about Matthew 11. The, the, these things are being taught to babes. Okay? Now, children of the multitude, let's see. Yeah, it is, he did lose their tongues and what happens here? They did teach who? Their fathers. Okay, so you get the sequence? There they are. The Savior teaches the kids and the te kids teach their adults. Then... Uh, and they did speak unto their fathers great and marvelous things, even greater than he had revealed unto the people. And he loosed their tongues so that they could utter. Okay. Now, look, jump down to 16. And it came to pass that on the morrow, second day, mm -hmm, on the morrow, oh, yeah, this is on the third day, you're right. On the morrow, the next day, the third day, the Savior will actually be with the disciples. On the morrow, the multitude gathered themselves together, and look at what happens. They both saw and heard what? The children. Even babes did open their mouths and utter marvelous things, which things they did utter were forbidden that there should any man write them. Now, here's my question. In the economy of the Lord, in the way that He does things, there's no, nothing ever coincidental or haphazard. It's very, very specific. To teach a lesson to the people at the time, and then those are going to have it recorded, to teach a lesson to the people hundreds of years, thousands of years later. Okay? So, here's my question. Why is He doing this? Wouldn't it make, He's training the disciples to be able to teach, and they're going to do it very well. Three of them are going to hang around for a long time. What is the deal about teaching the kids and loosening their tongues so that they will then teach 
They're elders. Yeah. Well, those children are the ones who are going to have children. Those are the ones who are going to be creating the generations that he's talked about, that up until the fourth generation, they're going to be righteous. Okay. Well, with the parent, everything kind of gets diluted as it goes through one person processing it. So if he can go to the next most recent source, who's going to be passing that on? Ah. Okay, so part of this is training these that are going to grow up, and then they're going to have kids, and it helps extend that four generations out that we're about to get mm -hmm. in righteousness. Wow. How about this? They didn't have tape recorders back in those days. Yeah. Kids were unbiased, and what he told them, they're going to repeat without any preconceived notions. It's going to be just what he said to them. Ah, okay, so there's going to be an oral history, even if it's not written, oral history with these kids. I like that. Yeah. Even more basic than that, I feel like he's really trying to establish a foundation of righteousness. Uh-huh. Very good. Okay. Well, it says loose their tongues. Is that meaning he gave them the ability to speak? Yes. And if they didn't have the veil completely over their minds yet, they were able to say. Who knows, who knows what they said? That's true. And remember, too, that when, remember we were talking about how he established a temple in front of the temple of Bountiful, that he creates a living temple with himself at the middle, and then right next to him, these children would be like the holy place. He's the holy of holy. The kids are the holy place. So like the next holy to him. And then the adults are kind of on the outside looking in going, wow. Okay, so who knows what they said. In fact, it, it's forbidden to write down what they said. It was so great. Okay? I saw that someone had. Yeah? Perhaps an object lesson in humility for the parents. Okay. Now you're going where you need to go. Because remember, they're on one level. There's a literal, here's what, and all of these things you just mentioned are true. All of these reasons about a history and preparing the next generations. That's really, really nice, except it means nothing to us. Unless you see the object lesson and the pattern about what it is that he's doing and how this applies to your life this afternoon. Okay? So run with that. So what's he doing in terms of the object lesson? You got it. You're there. To who? To his children and to the spirit. And? Babes. Pay attention to the babes. You will be taught by babes. Okay? Yeah. I would think they're so pure. Yeah.
It's, all, it's okay in this setting. Go ahead and cheat. It's fine. <laughs> we're, we're good to go. So I, I think what it's also trying to say is kind of like your name in the story. It's the Lord. No matter where it comes from, it's That's right. what it's teaching here. You've got to recognize that it doesn't matter if it comes from an apostle's mouth or, or anything. It's not, it's not like it. Uh, it's the Lord that does everything. It's not anybody else. Are there experiences in our, in our life in the church where we are taught by babes? Yes. Okay. And again, I think that happens. But what about other babes? Yeah. New converts. Yes. Can you learn from new converts? How can you learn from new converts? I've been in the church forever. I grew up in the church and I have great vast amounts of knowledge. What do I have to learn from a convert? Yeah. Their testimony is so fresh and exciting that they're willing to share it with everyone. Okay, and it may not be very sophisticated. Okay, yeah. Well, and two things stand out to somebody who's new that we either might take for granted or we've overlooked. A few weeks ago, Mary Seacrest, she was teaching a Relief Society lesson in our ward, and she was talking about how when she was a new convert, and she's learning, she's like, the thing that she would say all the time to people was, did you people know that there's this? Did you know that this happened? And she, you know what, sometimes, I'm, I'm sure that there was more than once that she said something that the other person thought, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Especially if we are open to say, you know what, it doesn't matter who is up here, whether they're a convert or somebody that's been in the church forever. They can teach me. Exactly. Especially if I will suspend my sense of my own bad self <laughs> and, and recognize that I'm going to teach, I'm going to be taught by people I wouldn't expect to be taught by. If I, had. Yeah. I think the other thing is that when we're talking to children and newcomers to the church, they are focusing on the most important items. So sometimes we get, you know, we've been in the church forever and ever. We get stuck on little things, you know, our little hobbies. Oh, no, 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 about this. But they, I mean... Because everything is so new. Yes. It's so the most important things. Abs- there you go. Okay. Then, then now, take, now take the converts. Now, what other babes do we get taught by? The actual ones. Definitely our children. Definitely our children. Other babes, though. Yeah. Maybe you're younger, uh, maybe you don't know as much, and but you may be babe. Do we have, have you ever been taught by a bishop who's a babe? senior minister, they're going to have a degree. Oftentimes they're going to have a ma- you know, maybe a master's degree in counseling, or, or even if a master's degree in theology, there's a lot of classes in marriage counseling and 
they have a certain amount of base of knowledge. What do we do in this church? We're going to take we're going to take a guy who's a farmer. We're going to lay our hands upon his head and make him a bishop. And this afternoon he's doing marriage counseling. Okay, which on its surface should never work. This is this is nutty. You know, my bishop's a CPA. How's he in terms of how to tell you how to take care of your kids? Does it work? Yeah. It doesn't always work as well as we would like, and it has sometimes there are hits and misses, but by and large, it is a latter-day miracle that we take people who are based in terms of knowledge and understanding, and we and we ordain them as bishops and they walk in and by the power of the Spirit, they pull it off. And they're amazed at the stuff coming out of their mouth. And their wife is going, really? Yeah? We had that experience when we, my husband and I first got married. We had just both graduated from BYU. And we moved to St. Louis, a small town outside of St. Louis. And right when we moved there, they called this bishop. And we were very, like, I was just, you know, we'd grown up in the church, very strong communities. We both were... Yeah. And this bishop that they called first, his last name was Coffee. <laughs> yeah, Bishop Coffee, that's good. <laughs> but he was a very humble man and he did not have, I mean, I think he probably maybe had a high school education. And at first it was very hard for us because we were both so used to the way things were supposed to be done. Yep. And um, he turned out to be the best bishop we've ever had, still to this day. Because he just taught such, in a different way. Or what happens if you had a, have a ward full of people that maybe have advanced degrees and they're a little bit more sophisticated and they do call a farmer, you know, and he don't talk just right and everything. He's going to get up and do his thing and, and everything. And it's like, oh my God, we got a country bumpkin for a bishop. Or a country bumpkin for gospel doctrine teacher. Really? You know, and I, I can't learn anything from bumpkin. And, then, and at those points, if we shut off our brain and we just go, I'm not going to be taught by this person. Or let me give you another one. Let's say that you have somebody who is a babe spiritually. And, that, and you know some things about that person. You know some things that they have been through in their life. And you know the mistakes that they have made. And now they're going to step up and teach Relief Society. Are you going to turn it off because you're considering the source and they're just obeyed in terms of their, you know, I know the things that they've done. Yeah, well, they have. But part of that process is, so who's under the greater condemnation if we're going to be the ones on our high horse going, I'm only going to be taught by people with great sophistication and perfect lives. Okay? Yeah. remember, they didn't ask for the job. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, me and Dummy would say, oh, please make me a bishop. <laughs> I would really like to be a new Society president. That sounds like that. Another thing is, um, I shot called primary. I've never been in primary. I've been in nursery four times, never primary. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to kill me. They're going to just murder me. And this year's my first lesson. And I learned things from these children. They're seven years old. I don't even like seven year olds. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
okay, let, let, let me take it one step farther here. Uh, there is, there's a process here. I don't know what happens when you get a chance to have conversations with your, with your Baptist friends. I don't know if you have a sense that I have that sometimes on one level I feel like I'm talking to primary kids. Because their understanding of like the broader gospel and the depths of exaltation and the temple and everything that we've been blessed with and the restored gospel is, you know, we have so much more knowledge. And we're talking to somebody that just seems to be very simple in terms of what they know and understand. Can you learn from those babes? I have a great deal of holy envy <laughs> for a lot of these Christian brothers and sisters who have a very clear idea about I need to trust Jesus and trust Him and live my life according to that. I grew up in a place that was predominantly LDS and I would no sense of appreciation for other faiths yeah. because it was so dominated by the ones. <laughs> and, and it wasn't until I moved here that I can see, wow, these people are really good They're great people. Yeah, I know. And, and, and in the church, we tend to be like, well, I'm not supposed to, you know. I, I remember doing a, a number of seminars uh, with a guy who, uh, I can't remember exactly what, what religion he was. But anyway, we, would teach, we were teaching uh, some financial seminars to, to seniors. And we would get like people gathered together in a golden corral or something like that. And we're going to teach and he'd go... Okay, now before we start the seminar, uh, we're going to go in and, uh, and get something to eat. Uh, so before we get going, I'll say grace. Father God, and he'd be off. <laughs> off and running. And they'd be, okay, we're good. And I would think, I wouldn't dare do that. I'm going to say the prayer, okay? Come on, Father. You know, I just like, we're, you know, if we're going to say prayer, we'll say prayer. You know, when, when Cindy and I have go out to eat and we're going to say prayer and we're going to say quietly to ourselves. And, you know, we got, we're surrounded by people who like reach across the table, Heavenly Father, you know, we don't care who's listening. Okay, there, I have a holy envy for people with that kind of vagueness, yeah. simplicityness about how they see things. Yeah. It's a simplicity. They're, they're vague. I saw another hand over here. Joe was a perfect example of this. How many people wouldn't listen to him because he was an unlearned schoolboy? And not even a, a fifth grade schoolboy at that. And so because of that, a lot of people... And how many leaders of the church... Uh, uh, Sidney Rigdon, um, uh, Frederick G. Williams, uh, we're going to talk more about this this fall, went through this whole process with Joseph Smith that like, we're, he's not very smart. And he keeps doing dumb things. I know more than he does. We think David Whitmer should be, or Oliver Cowdery is more polished. He should be the prophet. Okay, yeah. Yeah. He had to rely on the Lord. And he always comments that at the end of the 
Yeah, you had that on. I, I remember very clearly as a missionary. Uh, we had a lady that we were, were teaching, wonderful lady, she was Methodist, and, and we had a meeting set up, and we showed up at her house one night, and her, and her Methodist minister was there. Okay? And it's like, you know, gunfight at the OK Corral. And she's sitting here, and he's over there, and we've got our scripture sitting there, and we're kind of being nice, and we're being nice, and we're talking and everything. And I don't remember which one reached for the gun first. But one of us did. It was like... And we start going back and forth. And we're throwing the scriptures back and forth. And he cleaned our claw. When I think back at some of the things I was trying to argue, what an idiot. And, and we're going back and forth. And every now and then, uh, her name is Margaret. Margaret would go, what about... And he, he would say, I got this covered. I got this covered. <laughs> You know, and he's mowing us down, and we're dodging bullets, and we're just throwing things back and forth. Uh, and the funny thing was, uh, and, and again, in terms of a debate, we just didn't even come close. His knowledge and understanding just killed us. And at the end of the night, we get done, and she says, you want me to drive you guys home? And we're like, thank you, that would be nice. It's a long ways out, and it's like 9.30. So we threw the, our bikes in the back of her car, and she took us home. And on the way there, on the way home, she said, thank you. And I, I said, what? And, and she said, he was so mean and condescending to me all the way through. She says, and you just, you guys just cared about me and stuff like that. And I baptized her like two weeks later. <laughs> you know, and at the end of the day, it was us. And it was our, that we really cared about this lady. It wasn't about the knowledge. But we were based. It's a, it's a great example. Okay. Yeah. What would you think? And we're talking about simplicity. What? What? What is the purpose of complexity? Then? I mean, Bruce Albert Coffey is probably the most complex person I've read. Or Neil Maxwell, or Albert Bednar, where is, where is, or Oaks. Yeah. Where is the? Uh, yeah, there is a place for that. I think there's a place to understand the depths. It's one of the things I love about this class is we have an hour and a half to dig into things a little bit more deeply than we might in a gospel doctrine class, for instance. There's a place for that. But I think in the process of that, and maybe this is a good way to kind of wrap this part up, I think we have to be careful that the purpose that the Lord uh, has this even in the Scriptures is that we're to be taught by babes. Don't get caught in the idea that the only place I learn is by complexity. And the only ones that I can learn from are people with great gospel knowledge. Sometimes, I remember we had a, when, uh, in a ward... Uh, we ran and we had a, a sister in our ward that uh, was very beloved by the ward and she, and she died uh, of cancer and we were all kind of, that was a very hard thing for the ward uh, with this lady. It was kind of sudden and we didn't expect it and we missed her. Okay? And fast testimony meeting, her seven-year-old grandchild gets up to bear testimony. You know what we're always hearing, you know. I love my mom and dad. Turns is true. Seven-year-old gets up and she says, I know that we're all going to miss her. But she is now in a place where she can teach members of her family. And life is, is going to be better for her and she was in a lot of pain. Now she's not there. So even though that's hard for us, it's good for us. It's good for her to have been able to move on to the spirit world. <laughs> we're looking at each other like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's almost like her... her her tongue was loosened in that. 
stay open, to be taught by people you wouldn't be expect to learn from. That's the idea of this. That's why this whole thing is in there. So the principle here is uh, ultimately, I think the closer and the more in tune we are, the more likely we are to be taught by babes. And spot babes in our Baptist friends, spot the babes of younger people in terms of the gospel, maybe youth. Here, you know, in sacrament meetings, somebody, you know, youth gets up to give a, the, the teenage talk. Do you just kind of endure it until the adults show up? Or maybe they have something to say and it will be a nugget or two that we're learning from babes. Okay. Any final comments on that before we move up? Yeah. I think it's a it's a great sign of yeah, good point. It's a great sign of our humility. Are we willing to do that? Yeah. training session. That's well. Okay. This is going to be kind of a, a follow-up on the question we asked last week. And that is, I think it's kind of the genie question. You know? If, if I had a bottle with a genie in it, and, and I get three wishes, you know, after I've asked for wish number one, I want three more wishes, and then i got two to work on. Kind of thing. Uh, if you could ask the Savior for anything, what would you ask for? And we were talking last week that one of the things that the disciples were asking for from the Savior was, what were they asking for? The Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, now, that said, now they have the gift of the Holy Ghost. Look at Third uh, Nephi 28. Verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had said these words, he spake unto the disciples one by one, saying unto them, what? What is it you desire of me? Ooh. Think about that one. What if that's you sitting there? And he says, okay, you've got the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, before I go, what is it you desire of me? Before you answer that question, I want you to, to uh, hop over for just a second over to uh, Alma 29. Alma 29, 
we know is the oh that I were an angel speech from Alma, right? By the way, let's keep in mind, we said it before, just a reminder, Alma's going to say, oh, that I were an angel. What angel did Alma want to be? His angel. His angel. The angel that had spoke to him. The angel that had converted him. The angel that had uh, shaken the earth. The angel that had created his, started him on the road to repentance. Alma wanted to be his angel. Now, look at verse 4. Because he goes through all oh, that I were an angel, and man, I wish I could do all these things and speak with the voice of thunder to the earth. And I wish I could do all these kind of things. And then we get to verse 4. Who's got verse 4? Yeah, okay. I ought not to harrow up in my desires. Okay, in other words, I have these desires, I shouldn't get caught up in this. We're talking, the, the, the Nephite, the, the, the Nephite disciples are going to sorrow in just a second that they had these, they had this desire thing. So I said, I shouldn't get harrowed up in this, okay? The firm decree of a just God, for I know that he granted unto men according to their desire. Oh, hear it? The Lord will grant unto you what? Well, that, really? If you're really wanting a bigger house, or you're wanting all the stuff that you're wanting, a car that runs better, okay? Uh, he will grant unto them according to their desire. Listen close. Whether it be unto death or unto life, yea, I know that he allotted unto men, yea, decreeth unto them decrees which are unalterable, according to their wills, whether they be unto salvation or unto destruction. Now, if you can begin to wrap your head around this, this, this puts an incredible amount of power and responsibility on you. Bob, glad you made it. Is that? As long as we know it's his fault, that works. Thanks, Lou we did save your seat right down in here in front. And, <laughs> and, and, and we'll, we'll get started just a okay. second. <laughs> this is all sneaking in the back. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Glad you made it. Okay. So he says, I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire. Uh, I know that he allotteth unto men. And yea, he decrees with... How does he put it? An alterable decree. Let's see. Decrees are, yeah, that's right. Decreeth unto them decrees which are unalterable according to their Oh. Say that differently. Put that in different words. What did he just say? He gives us what he wants. What we want, good or bad. We become what we desire, what we go to. There we go. Yeah, in other words, he's going to, you really want that? Okay. You know, th th think about, you know, teenage kids, you really want freedom? Okay. Run with it. See how that goes. You really don't want any restrictions on you? Have fun with it. See what happens. Because there are consequences attached to that. Yeah. Because maybe 
so great. Look at all the stuff that we're finding out. And it's like the stuff that we've already known and practiced. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, uh, I remember uh, Gerald Lund uh, talked about the fact that when this really hit him, it was a, it was a high priest lesson being taught by Elder Enzio Busha. Uh, Elder Enzio Busha is one of my, uh, in terms of depth of understanding of spiritual things, he's now a Meredith member, but if you ever get a chance to read things by uh, Elder Busha, he was just incredible depth of stuff. And, and he went after this scripture, and he, and he wanted to say, you need to really come to grips with the fact that the Lord will give you ultimately what you want. If you want sin, He'll give you sin. If you want eternal life, He'll give you eternal life. It's up to you. He will grant unto man their desires. Uh, that would be you. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, the thing that is, what's paradoxical about this is that we desire these things, but so often we say, oh, when something comes to help us strengthen to get to that point, well, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Yeah. Because we, don't, we expect to go from where we are to grant the granted. Instead of going through... I, I want what I want. I just don't want to always have to go through what I have to go through to get what I want. And so a lot of times people think they desire things. That's why this becomes so important. We think we desire things, but it turns out we really don't. Okay? That's why ultimately I believe that men and women get what, what you really, really want, you will get. And, but you sometimes have to look at your behaviors to say, but what I really wanted was maybe something different. Yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis, <clears throat> in a book called The Great Divorce, yeah. he, he wrote something, and I can't remember the exact words, but it's something like, you can either do my will, or I will give you your will. Yes, he did. I love that, that quote. And, and really, basically, that, and, and so that's why it is when we get, and I know that I plugged this a little bit here, uh, uh, Joseph F. Smith's quote that... Uh, that our happiness depends on the education of our desires. Our desires have to be educated. They have to be grown because what you want is not really what you want. <laughs> what you should want. And ultimately I'm giving you what you desire. Yeah. Well then how do you explain people like in Africa whose desires and wants are just the very basic to keep life going? Uh. Food is there's a good question. Are they, and she said, what about the people in Africa that because they have, their lack of, their fund of knowledge is so small and all they really desire is like a, a better piece of fruit or something a little bit better. Are they getting their desires? Not always, no. The, according to what they desire? Yeah, most of the time they are. But if they knew, if somebody were to come along and teach them, there could be more. There, there's more available for you. And that part of what we do with the gospel is say, I know that you want to go live with Jesus, and that's a righteous desire. What if there were more? What if there was, if you could learn that you could desire far more than you have any idea? That's why our, our desires need to be educated so that we begin to want what He wants for us. Yeah. I just moved here from Switzerland. I had a friend one day that was in Ethiopia. And she met her husband in Australia and of course we're dropped to that and we met him there. You know, they got married and then they 
mean, we're always speaking English, so to me, she would always question me, you know? Right, she right, right. Right, so she had that influence, but I met her. And let me tell you, there was all that time she's like, so what is this, and what is this, and what is this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? How do you know these things? And that, I always have to remind her, and how and how myopic and, and narrow. We just didn't have any of it. But even now, she goes back to Ethiopia and she's like, all the things that I take and all the things that I ship to me and the things that I would have never thought I had Now that now our desires change. Yes. Um, yep, I had I was very, very happy with my iPhone. Now there's a new iPhone. <laughs> Now I have to desire a new iPhone. It's just awesome. Okay. Don't even get me going down that road. Um, okay. Verse 1. 3 Nephi 28. What is it you desire of me after I'm gone to the Father? What do you want? What do you desire? And, verse 2, and they all spake, save it were three, saying, we desire what? You know, when we live to a ripe old age, and how he chose 72, I have no idea. When you get to be 72, you're going to die and do what? And you're going to come live with me. Wow! How great is that? Isn't that the deal? Isn't that, isn't that what anybody would want? <laughs> you, you're, you're thinking that if you're 71, that maybe... <laughs> maybe not that soon, it's a little quick. Can we make it 95? I'd like to hang around see the grandkids a little older. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that desire of saying, though, when I die, and, and this is, to me, this is, is there anything wrong with this desire? Isn't that what we all want? I just want to, I want to, I'm, I'm one of your disciples, I'm one of the apostles. I want to serve and love and teach and grow, and when the time comes, I want to be with you. And that's awesome. However, but wait. Verse 4, it's spoken. He turned unto the three who were being a little quiet at this point. Um, and they durst not speak unto him the thing they desired. What is it that they desired? Well, let's see, Lord. We, okay, look, we figured this out. It's going to be about 2,000 years before you come back, maybe longer. We like a 2,000 year mission. With no phone calls. Now, that's what they're wanting. Let me ask you, why would they sorrow in their hearts, verse 5, for they durst not speak unto the thing that they, into the thing they desired? Hard to know. It's hard in the, in the lifespan of a Nephite if they really understood completely how long a period of time they're talking. But they had, had to have... Well, what if they, 
At the very least, they figured out it was going to be a few hundred years. Okay, so I don't know that they necessarily knew. Were they comparing their thoughts to what the other disciples had just said? I think. Maybe, uh, but maybe the fear is, is that we kind of weren't asking for too much.
<laughs> yeah, we haven't got anything new lately. Um, okay, so what happens? Okay, verse 12. So he's going to say, because of your righteous desires, your, your heart's going to be one with me, which is one with the Father, and all of these kind of things. Uh, verse 12, it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words... And here, there's a point here, I don't understand this, it's another one of those things, I look at it, I don't know what I'm looking at, and I can't find anything from anybody who knows what the difference was here. Uh, Jesus had spoken these words, he touched every one of them with his finger, except for the three. Yeah, no, I wish I could have explained it. I only know of one other instance in all of Scripture where the Lord... And a, and a resurrected, or not resurrected, but reached out and touched something with his finger. Yeah, Brother, Jared. Brother Jared. And he turned those into uh, seer stones. Not just glowing stones, seer stones. We're going to talk about that in, in a couple of weeks here. Okay? It's the only other case that I know. And it's interesting, in this case, those that he touched will live to 72. If he, the others, what happens to these three? They are what? Taken up into heaven. Oh, isn't that wild? Behold, the heavens were open, and they were caught up into heaven, and saw and heard unspeakable things, and it was forbidden for them to utter. Piece of speculation. Franklin D. Richards, apostle, talked about the fact that he believed that they were now being translated, and, and also transfigured, and that when they were caught up to heaven, they were really being caught up to the city of Enoch, and being taught there and everything and trained, and then they re return to the heaven, return to earth to do their thing. That's kind of cool. I don't know. Yeah. I have a question, and maybe it's a dumb question. But in here? Well, you know. Listen to the ones I ask. <laughs> um, I guess I have a hard time understanding the really big difference between what they're going to be doing on the earth as opposed to what the other nine are going to be doing when they go to I mean, because it says in here, they won't, they'll have a fullness of joy, and they'll know yeah. and they won't experience yeah. the sorrow of the earth while they're here. And yeah. they'll see all the workings that Heavenly Father is doing on the earth, and they're going to be teaching, and I guess I don't really know how that's a lot different than... Okay, do you want to phone a friend, or do you want to ask me how to do the same. They're ministering to our Heavenly Father's children. Right. But the three that are staying, they need those protections. Yeah. And that's why they need to be treated differently. Okay, but here we go. Why was this even needed? That's why I say, I wish kind of transcend this stuff. How come the Lord would even do this? Why is there necessity for John, for the three Nephites? Because he's going to bring up disciples that will live and die, and prophets, and they'll live and die and do their thing. Why is he going to need John, and why does he need these three? Okay. They're being prepared. 
Could be. Could be prepared by these guys. Okay, yeah? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Does that make sense to you? Does it have anything to do with the law of witnesses? In other words, that there would be a witness, and, and there are four of them now, that we know of, it could be more, but there are at least four that are walking the earth who will be able to witness to everything. And what are they going to witness to? The Lord extended promises. The Lord fulfills His promises. I make covenants. I keep them. Therefore, you can, you can have faith in me as a being who makes promises and keeps them. And I need witnesses to do that. And you can't do anything in the temple without running right up against the law of witnesses. Yeah? I also think of that third bill of heaven that has been working against us for not hundreds of years, thousands of years. They're going to be pretty good at what they do. They know what our weaknesses are and how nice it is to know that we've got four guys out there who... Who have been through it. Well, and listen to what they've been through, you know. Uh, they ministered in 18. They baptized as many as received the Holy Ghost. 19, they're cast into prison. Uh, the prisons could not hold them. They were rent in twain. I look, listen to this one. They were cast down into the earth, but did smite the earth, insomuch the power is delivered, and therefore they could not dig pits sufficiently to hold them. What they try and do? To bury them. The three. No, well, and it may have happened in some of the others. But specifically, Mormons going, look at what these guys have done. You know, they, they were put in prison, they were buried in the earth. Uh, thrice they were thrown into a furnace and received no harm. Twenty-two. Twice they were in a den of wild beasts and they did play with them. Uh, uh, Twenty-three. They just kept doing all these things. They even raised some guy from the dead. And then ultimately he says... And maybe it's back to the law of witnesses. And I know that they did these things. Why? Because I've seen them. And they have ministered to me. And they've talked to me. How far down the road is that? 400 years later. I have talked to them and they've ministered unto me. You imagine that fireside? Oh my gosh. We're going to 3D fights here. You know, you're going to find out some great stuff. Yeah. Is it also... To keep the priesthood on the earth from when the Savior was here? There's another good reason. Not just witnesses, but priesthood witnesses. Okay? I think we're going to find that there had to be a connecting link. Okay? Yeah. I think that it shows how much the Lord loves the earth and cares about the earth because he was unwilling to completely surrender it to our sin. Yeah. And I will put people where they need to be to, to take care of that. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So, so let, let's pull this in here. And then we have about 20 minutes on the last point here. I just want, again, so what's the takeaway here? What do we learn about us from these guys? And it's, it's, it's fun to speculate. What are they doing? Where are they? You know, was it one of them that talked to them at the deck signing the Declaration of Independence? And, you know, was it one of them that were pushing the hand cards and saying that you guys saw 17 miracles? Somebody fed that lady with 
with stuff out of the cave, and the cave was gone. Seth was not one of them. Could have been. I don't know. It's fun to speculate. Okay, what does that mean to me today? I think the Mormon said it when he said, God grants it to men according to their desire. Yeah. And, and what should our, what is our, the closer, the nearer we get to God, and the nearer that our hearts come to changing, what's going to happen? Our desires will be His. And if our desires are His, what are we going to find ourselves doing? His work. We're going to desire more and more to preach the gospel and to teach and, and all of those kind of things. That's how we know where we are. The more we want to teach and the more pain we are when we see people doing things that they shouldn't, that tells us that our desires are near to His. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. We never have enough time. Never, never. Okay. So now we get... So all of this preaching, did it work? How, how, how many years do we get of uh, good stuff? We get four generations, 200 years. Now, incidentally, when we talk about... Um, by the way, anybody in here ever covenanted to do everything you can to establish Zion? <laughs> Just curious if you've ever had that experience to, you know, give all your time and energy and talents and everything to doing that. Wouldn't it be kind of nice to know what Zion looks like and what you're trying to do? Okay? But, and, and, and think about every... Uh, a prophet that's ever walked the earth. What did they want? As their desires were nearing God's. What are they after? They want to establish Zion. They want their people to establish Zion. So how many Zions do we know that have existed on the planet? How many success stories have there been? Enoch. Melchizedek. Nephites. How do we do in Missouri? <laughs> yeah, it didn't, didn't work so hot in Missouri. And, and we'll go in again probably around March of next year. We're going to be going through everything, all the reasons for that. Okay? You think many others? Anti-Nephi-Lehi Anti come pretty darn close, don't they? It isn't called Zion. But it sure, it sure looks like Zion to me, in fact. And ultimately they say, you know what? We're tired of you guys. We're heading north. And they go up into the north country. I'll bet you that was Zion, even though it's not described as such. Okay? Alright. So we're going to get a chance to take a look at this. And, and um, let's see. Verse 2. And it came to pass in the 36th year the people were all converted to the Lord upon the face of the, the land. Lamanites and Nephites, there's no what? Contentions and disputations and every man does, does an interesting thing. Deals justly. Now there's a key here for Zion and, and of course it's one that jumps out uh, at me. Um, hop over for just a second to uh, D&C 11 12 
we're talking about establishing Zion, DNC 11, 12. Who's got it? Got it? And now, very, very advanced, the put your trust in that spirit which needs to do good. Okay, now listen, when you put your trust in the spirit, the Lord's going to tell, uh, I think this is Oliver Calvary. Yeah, anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yea, to do justly, to walk humbly, to judge righteously, and this is my spirit. Yeah, that's Hiram. Okay. So here are these elements, and by the way, and I, we won't take time to go, but when we went through Alma 41, this was the doctrine of restoration, that certain things are going to be restored to you, and one of them is the ability to deal justly. And one of the things, the hallmark of a Zion society, uh, if you go back uh, here to 4th Nephi, there were no contentions and disputations, and every man to deal justly one with another. What does that mean, to deal justly? <coughs> to deal with justice. Um, yeah. Totally yeah. Integrity. <laughs> with integrity, fairness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, verse 3 gives us that. They had all things in common among them. Therefore, there were not rich and poor, bond and free, but they were made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. Now, I, I, I got looking at this and suddenly I, I realized there's a beautiful little couplet uh, that, that Mormon threw in here that I thought was just kind of fun here. And it kind of looks like this. Uh, when I broke that down, they had all things common among them, therefore they were not rich and poor. There's a distinguishing mark, right? Are we the one or are we the 99? <laughs> <laughs> are you the 54% or the 49%? Okay. They were not rich and poor, bond and free. Some were slaves, some were not. But then he says an interesting thing happened to these people who were dealing justly with each other. But they were what? Made free. Everybody becomes free. How did that happen? Because instead of being rich and poor, you are what? And how are you made equal? You are equally what? Partakers of the heavenly gift. He is given equally to anybody who will the heavenly gift. I'm going to fill you with power of the Holy Ghost to make you free. Free to be what? To turn, to desire everything that he wants. I then take that will and I hand it to him and I say, I just want to be what you want me to be. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the temple is an example of the community. Can, I, I thought about that. Can you imagine if, if instead of I might have mentioned this. Can you imagine instead of kind of standardizing the temple clothes, if we said, you know what, you can wear whatever you want to wear. It just needs to be like a, a robe and an anchor and stuff like that. Okay, we're giving some directions. But you kind of, you can come up with your own. In fact, we'll let anybody sell them. Or you can hand make them. What would the temple look like? How fast would it be before some people were going to have to have, like, you know, aprons with, like, curls and laid in them? And I understand yours is a simple cloth, but hey, this is silk, you know. In other words, I'm going to try, I, 
somehow find a way in this place to distinguish myself from everybody else. We have that tendency to do that, don't we? Yeah. You think about the homecoming month. Oh. It's so popular in Texas. It's every year. bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, my God. Do they do homecoming months in Florida? Okay. I haven't seen it outside of Texas. Oh, baby. If you're going to homemaking, are you going to wear a little flower? Oh, no. You need a monster hunker. Then it's so, you know, you need a, you need a truck and a handcart to like, carry this thing around, man. It's like this pumpkin thing and you got to wear it around all Friday. You know, I'm going to homecoming. <laughs> and you got to wear this thing and each one has got to be more bigger and elaborate with more hanging thingies off of it and, and stuff like that, okay? We have that tendency to try and distinguish ourselves. So the temple is that way, right? The temple is a place where we are all equal. We're all dressed in white. Yeah. Well, I think that, and, and I know that you don't intend it this way, but I think that sometimes we get hung up on the word equal because he doesn't actually say equal, but, but we're all made free. Yes. And we're partakers of the heavenly gift. And I, what it makes me think of when it, I think about, okay, partakers of the heavenly gift, it's there and available for everybody, and we take as much as we need. And you think of food portions in a family. The three-year-old doesn't eat as much as the 16-year-old. Yeah. But, so they're not given equal amounts, but they're given enough. Well, well let me give you an example. Because you're right. It's not necessarily it's equal in terms of we're all partakers of the heavenly gift. We talked a couple weeks ago about Joseph F. Smith saying that all of us are given the heavenly gift of the light of Christ. But he's very, very clear, and Bruce and... Uh, Elder Packer has backed this up, uh, saying that even though we're all given the light of Christ, because of pre-mortal righteousness and obedience on your part, that some are in this life with a greater portion of the light of Christ than are others. Now, is that unequal? Not necessarily. But it just means that you are given according to your capacity, your ability to handle more. In Zion, is everybody going to have the same size farm? I hope not. <laughs> Some have greater capacity to do that. Some have bigger families. Not everybody's going to have the exact same farm, but it means according to your capacity. Okay? Now, so, so they go through this. They're, they're, uh, they go through 200 years. Uh, verse 13, there's no contention. They're mighty miracles. Okay, and then, and don't, I don't know if you're like me, but you're reading through this and you go, oh, I know this isn't going to last. You know, and it's like, the, the end of the story is coming here, I know this. So you almost don't get to enjoy it. There's no robbers, there's no murderers, there's no Lamanites, there's no manner of ites. I take that to mean no termites. <laughs> the, 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 they were in one. Uh, the children of Christ, heirs to the kingdom of God. And then listen to Mormon from 400 years down the road looking at the mess and blood and carnage he's dealing with. He says, and uh, verse 18, oh, how blessed are they. And basically, and how unblessed am I. <laughs> stuck with what I'm stuck with. Okay, The Lord did bless them in all their doings. Okay, And then we're going to get down there. And then... Um, 24. And now in this 201st year there began to be those 
who were lifted up in what? Yeah. Then the wheels start to fall off. Okay? Yeah. The, then, then the wheels... You know, at that point it's going to go bad in a hurry. Yeah, let's do this. Can somebody hop over? We've got about five minutes. Somebody hop over to, to section 105. Because it is funny, the Zion experiment of Missouri is really a good backdrop to read against this. Because here was a case where they tried, Joseph tried hard to set up Zion and they just couldn't pull it off. They just couldn't do it. Who's got 105, uh, 3 through 5? Yeah, okay, Margaret. they have not learned to be distinguishing marks to it. And I want you to think about your life and your family and your ward and your quorum and your class. And all. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. These three. These are the three principles that Zion lives off of. Number one is unity. In the temple can we even pray if we don't have unity? No. Okay? Somebody needs to withdraw first. Equality. We just talked about what that is. Equality according to our capacity. Right? And finally, Zion is built on purity. When, when Joseph was interviewing people to go out to Missouri to inherit what he called the goodly land, they would go through and they would talk to everybody and he would say, the interview was actually, the, the temple recommend interview was actually pretty short. It would be like, do you live the Ten Commandments? All of them. Yes. Does every member of your family live the Ten Commandments? No. Then you can't go. There had to be total unity within that family. Are you willing to consecrate everything? Yes. Except for the golden brush that I got from my grandmother that I'm kind of hanging on for me, then you don't get to go. Is there unity? Are you willing to give up everything that you've got? And the distinguishing mark is, and the thing that we battle with so much is, the opposite of Zion really is finish with this. President Benson in uh, 1989 uh, wrote the definitive talk uh, on pride. 
magnificent talk. I also believe that when President Benson was writing this, he had C.S. Lewis in front of him. There have been a number of people that have done studies, and, and you can see all of the parallels. He's pulling heavily from C.S. Lewis on some of these points, and then adding more gospel principles on, on top of that. Okay? But part of what he says is this. My dear brethren and sisters, we must prepare to do what? Redeem Zion. It must be redeemed. Who's, being re who's Zion? We are. So what are we doing when we're redeeming? We're bringing it back from us. Redeeming it in our own hearts. Redeeming it in the people that we teach. Redeeming it in our families. Zion must be redeemed. It was essentially the sin of pride that kept us from establishing Zion in the days of the prophet Joseph Smith. It was the same sin of pride that brought consecration to an end among the Nephites. Pride is the great stumbling block to Zion. I repeat, pride is the great stumbling block to Zion. Okay, now let me just then combine this with what we talked about last week. Last week we were talking about the gathering of Israel. That when we are righteous we are gathered into Zion. When we are wicked, we are scattered. That is, that's the pattern. The Lord scatters the wicked, whether it's Babylon or Babel or wherever, Jerusalem. He gathers the righteous into Zion. Okay? Our ability to be gathered to the gospel and to the Lord and our families is based on the fact that he says the very first step for your gathering is that I will cleanse your iniquities. In other words, the gathering for you and with Zion begins when you do what? Repent. Just repent. Clean up your life. Begin to merge your desires with His. That's your first step in being gathered. And then when you are gathered, go gather your brethren and sister. Go get them too. Uh, I bury my testimony that the uh, this is our work. Increasingly, we're going to see as the world becomes more wicked, we're going to watch this church begin to be separated out and to become unique. And it will be a city based on a hill. Tonight's Halloween. Time Magazine just listed uh, the 10 favorite costumes for Halloween. You see what was number 5 on the list? Dressing up as? Missionaries. missionaries. Yeah. Mormon missionaries. Make, make sure you have a white shirt, a tie, a little black badge, and a bicycle. Okay. Tell me this isn't the Mormon moment. Tell me we're not out in front being going like, wow, they're iconic. <laughs> they're an icon. Dang it. Well, they're also, go on CNN today, and there's an article about Mitt Romney, a woman wrote it. It's very interesting about it's completely based on his faith and his service in the church. 
and his experience, yeah, as a lay leader to the state president, yeah. Yeah, kind of cool. So, anyway, uh, I bury my testimony. This is what the Lord intends for us. Uh, have a wonderful week. Uh, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. And I think we had a closing prayer by... Oh, there we go. Okay, thanks.